Good afternoon. Welcome to Seize the Day with Jim and Winston, and this is our literary edition. Yeah, 2021 there, Jim. Yeah, books that we've encountered over our lifetimes that we think are uh, worth exploring by others. Now, it's just like anything else, food or wine or beer or um, movies, whatever. There's personal taste involved, so what we're doing is sharing our personal taste of things we've read, and uh, you can you can check it out for yourself. See what you think. Yeah, we thought this would be fun. Jim had this great idea to um, come up with uh, our uh, favorite books that we've uh, read over our, our many years together, and also on our own. And we thought we'd just make a list, our personal list, and surprise each other with our, our favorite books and share them with you. So you have something fun and exciting to read in 2021 and beyond. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I got a question for you. Sure. Winston. Sure. Uh, and, you know, I just want to remind our audience that this is totally unscripted. These things come up just right out of the blue. So Winston doesn't know what I'm going to ask him. Yeah, no, he has, I have no idea. Surprise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, how do you discover a book that you would like to read? Oh, that's a good one, Jim. That's a good way to... to um... To start off this thing, I think a lot of people listening will probably be wondering the same thing. I mean, a lot of them, a lot of times, you know, we find them, I find books from um, referral, you know, like a friend will tell me about a great book they read. But a lot of times, um, you know, I'll browse through like a, a Chapters Indigo or a bookstore and just kind of see what picks up my interest. But these days, I am doing a lot more just casual browsing on the web and then I'll be reading an article that will mention a book that the author has read, read recently, and I'll, I'll flag on that. Or I'll have a favorite author. I'll wait for an anticipated release. Um, and lately, you know what? It's been interesting, Jim. Uh, for my um, birthday last year, daughter was asking me what I wanted for my birthday. And I said, well, she was kind of struggling with thinking of what to get me. Ah, the sweet old girl. <laughs> Wondering what I, she could get old, good old dad for uh, for her his birthday. So I said, you know what? Why don't you surprise me and pick me four books that you think will be influential to me that I haven't read before? And so I put it in her hands to kind of guess based on my personality and my interest levels of different things what books that she would pick for me. Which was kind of an interesting experiment, you know, Jim. If you if you ever get bored, this would be a neat way to sort of see how well your friends know you, right? And just ask them to pick you a book randomly that they enjoy, and then you're going to build your library really quick. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's great to run into those unknowns. Yeah. yeah, like I tried to surprise you with one for um, for Christmas there, and that was the reason why was because I thought that well, what do you get the man who has everything? You know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you already have that Ferrari parked in front of the house, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a plastic version of the real thing. But yeah, it's but still there. it's still there. It's still there. Yeah. See, so you don't need that. So I figured, well, why don't I give you a book you don't have? You know, and who knew that that would fuel on our literary edition of yeah, Seize the so, Day? Yeah. So I'm almost finished that, and you've just recently finished that. Uh huh. So we'll have a quick chat on that book. Yeah, but that's how I find books. How do you find books, yeah. there, Jim? Well, um. Pretty much very similar to what you've said. Uh, I also, um, you know, in, in one of the jobs I had, I did a lot of driving. 
Oh, right. To, yes. You know, from anywhere from a half hour to an hour and a half to get to a location to do inspections and manage projects and, you know. Yeah, so gain, did you gain information and all that? So I would I would listen to a lot of CBC radio when I was doing that driving. Oh, okay. And and, and uh, there's a program on there. I think it's with Eleanor Wachtel called Books and Company. So oh, really? she would interview authors. Oh. Huh. And uh, I got a I, I, I've read a couple through that as, mm. as a source. Yeah. And I'll, I'll delve into what those what one of those was a little bit later. Um, and I kind of um, like to read nonfiction. Not always, but that's kind of where I like to go a little more than fiction. Right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, family members have been a good source of books. My brother-in-law just has a enormous golf novel library that I find are extremely entertaining and very humorous. Okay. So that's, that's been a great source. There's a couple authors there that I'll share later and, and oh, books by them. Mm-hmm. Uh, very different type of reading. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, sometimes you just happen to go into a bookstore and, and then there's, you know, other sources, uh, you know, various other programs where you might encounter, an author being interviewed, um, and, and uh, you know that's uh, that's also a source, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, it's also interesting because I, I was just thinking back where I got a bunch of my uh, recent books, and they were used to be. I used to, you know, while waiting for flights to go somewhere, I'd go through those. Um, Hudson's uh, stores or whatever at the airport and you know everybody's trying to pick a book or a magazine before they get on a flight right yeah and uh, I would you know randomly uh, you, you have that rare pocket of time where you know you can't really do anything while you're preparing for a flight I would just um, you know pick up a few snacks and then look and see if there's a book that I hadn't read that would kind of burn some time while I'm on the flight and I'd pick up a couple of volumes of something there something not too heavy usually because I don't want to carry it on my carry on yeah and, I, uh, I... I actually found one at a Safeway checkout. Oh, really? You're like, I got to do the math here, Winston. Uh huh. Um, a little over 30 years ago. Wow, 30 years ago. Because I, I, I was about to depart to an extended trip to Australia and New Zealand. I was gone for about nine months. And nine I thought, months. You know, I, as soon as I, you know, as soon as I get there, I'm going to need something to read, right? You know, for it's, sure. it's a good idea. You're traveling by yourself, you know, a little something. And, uh, it turned out to be an absolute great choice. Really? And I'll share that as, as kind of one of my favorites and a great traveling companion, I'll call it. Oh, wow. That's neat when you can come across something like that. Oh, and, and it turns out it's, it's just a stroke of luck, you know? Or is it a stroke of luck? Yeah, maybe it's a serendipitous right? occasion. Yeah, yeah. Right? You know, is, was it meant to be there at the time that I was there and thinking about something to read? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. We'll I, let our readers dis- or our listeners decide that. Yeah, there's a lot of events. I I think sometimes things don't happen uh, when you expect them. They just happen just when you need them the most. You know, for example, like you could be taking a course on a completely unrelated topic, maybe structural engineering or something. (laughs) And then someone will be, someone in front of you might be reading a book and you just happen to be perusing. It has nothing to do with the course at all. And then you're thinking, oh, that's kind of piquing my interest. Or it could be, 
you're on a like a transit system thing or looking at somebody reading a book and the the cut the uh, the cover page kind of catches you or something right but quite a few events like that have happened to me where i kind of get curious about what other people are reading and um you know a, a lot of friend referrals too but then there was there's different pockets and phases of my life where i found that i was into certain genres of books like i when i was going to university i'd go to the university bookstore and try to read a few books from a particular section like maybe self help improvement and then i would devour the whole section as much as i could just you know if it, it was on the same theme you know that's how i got into wayne dyer for example you know you know i got into wayne dyer a totally different way yeah, how'd you get into him? And, and I, I honestly haven't read a single book of his, but he's such a dynamic presenter uh-huh. that you know, and and he's giving you the content of his book in a in a video presentation. Oh, for PBS. sure. Yes, yeah. So that's that's my knowledge of Wayne Dyer. I, I, I just find him a, and I really enjoy this as an entertainment form, mm-hmm. as a dynamic speaker. Mm-hmm. You know. But he also gives you content that's just outstanding and thought-provoking. Yeah, yeah. He's really good about that. You know, he'll trigger something and make you think about it in a different perspective. Um, and and make, pause and make, cause it almost like a, I don't know, sometimes he, his work, his reading and stuff can put you in almost in a meditative state or some kind of enlightened state where you look at the larger picture of what you're where you are in life right because he kind of lived that way you know he kind of led by example of his ability to kind of transcend the day-to-day appreciate the day-to-day but realize that there was more to it than meets the eye yeah um you know what's his one of his favorite quotes there is uh when you change how you look at something, what you look at changes. Mm-hmm. So that that it, that sort of, um, I would say, I, I don't know, like something I've kind of been in, in, encountered to lately is: Are there really any absolutes? Yeah, I know. I I was thinking about that too. It's funny we're on the same wavelength. I was thinking yeah. about: Are there any absolute truths? You know, and, and I think there's there's um, pers- perspective is is a huge part of whether an absolute exists or not. Or I wouldn't even say that. I just say I don't I don't know if absolutes exist. You know, there's there's um, there's so much. If you look at things like Wayne Dyer says, if you look at things differently, what you look at changes. Oh, for sure. And it, so you know, yeah. So I mean, that's that's just. Uh, I'll give a really, really coarse view of that. Sure. And um, you know, the, the fire and brimstone preacher takes um, this the the biblical saying: "If you spare the rod, you'll spoil the child." Like that's what you're supposed to, you're supposed to you're not supposed to spare the rod, right? You, you're going to spoil the child. Right. Whereas the the old African grandmother interprets it a different way: spare the rod and spoil the child. She thinks that that's what you're supposed to do, right? So you know, like as as with a lot of biblical things, they can be interpreted a, a number of different ways. Mm-hmm. But that you know, 
simple a number of words. You know, there's there's more than one way to look at it. I don't know. It, it's interpretation that that implies rightness. That's true. And isn't it interesting that you know, depending on the environment you're in, the receptiveness of your points of view and your perspectives, depending on whether or not they get a lot of support, can eventually wear away at you, much like water on rocks, right? I mean, on the surface, water pa- rolling past a, a pebble in, in, in a stream doesn't seem to degrade it or shape it much, right? But over repeated amounts of time, you know, if you're in an environment which is rubbing you the wrong way, they can eventually wear you down because that's your immediate influence. So what I'm trying to get at is that let's say I had a completely alternate point of view on any topic in an environment where it wasn't supported. Okay? So say I walked into an environment where nobody wears shoes and I'm the only guy wearing shoes. And everybody around me is saying, why are you wearing shoes? Your feet are designed to not require shoes. And I'm saying, you guys are crazy. I need shoes because shoes protect my feet. So I'm living in an environment of a thousand people and I'm the only one wearing shoes. Every time I walk out the door, people start pointing at my shoes and saying, look at that crazy guy wearing shoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And after a while, I start looking at other people's feet and they may be calloused and thicker and they may not be the marquee of feet, right? But I realize, hey, they're not wearing any shoes and they're doing just fine. And eventually, over time, I might feel ostracized for being the only guy wearing shoes. I might let go of my beliefs a little bit if I see that they're surviving just fine without shoes. And in fact, I might end up just taking off my shoes. (laughs) (laughs) So my apologies to Payless and all the shoe stores of the world. But really, the fact that we even buy shoes is probably relative to the fact that our parents bought us shoes, everybody around us wears shoes, and it may not be right to do so, but we're wearing them because they exist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we that, that's one of the great things about reading, is it, is it gives us the opportunity to view different perspectives and, and different uh, points of view, and it can be presented in a multitude of ways, fiction, nonfiction, um, you know, multi-series novel to a short story. Yeah, and you yeah. know, from that perspective, you know, I know you mentioned you're more into nonfiction than fiction. I'm, I'm kind of the same. I like reading, I like reading biographies because I think there's a lot of um, knowledge to be gained from learning about people's past without having, like, almost walking a mile in their shoes without having to walk, right? Um, and I, I started thinking to myself, what is the, like, you know, you only have so much time in your life to focus on certain things, right? So you kind of pick your, pick your angle and you go with it for a bit. And maybe if that suits you, you go with that angle and then maybe you make a few adjustments. But what do you think attracts you the most about nonfiction books? Uh... I prefer the landscape of reality over the landscape of fantasy. Ah, I gotcha. Okay. Cause it, now, that, that doesn't mean that there isn't value in fiction and there can't be things learned, messages or you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and even what I read in, in nonfiction is not of 
high literary value where you're supposed to interpret some grand idea or anything like that. Uh, mm-hmm. That's that's not uh, the type of uh, uh, fiction that I read. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's uh, – it's interesting because um, I think uh, throughout my life I've gone through different phases of, of reading and um, it's always interesting to see like, at which level of, of growth or maturity that we are at in our life where we – where we're gravitating towards, you know? Yes. I just wanted to add one other source of reading. Oh, go go ahead, go for it. That that and that's forced reading. I mean, we've all taken True. you know, some level of education and yeah. and and you know, you take an English course in at a university level and you're forced to read some things. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. and I I've, I've actually encountered some stuff I've really enjoyed through that. Yeah, and and sometimes you start off a little bit begrudgingly because it's like a required reading. Yeah. But, you know, honestly, it does open your mind to ideas of authors you probably would never otherwise pick up, you know? And and when you do end up enjoying reading them in it, and it's also work at the same time, you're getting a two-for, two-for-one, right? Yeah. You're being entertained. (laughs) Yeah, I know know for yourself, myself and my... My daughter and other friends. Anytime you've already read a book that's a signed reading, like on your own free will, it's like such a bonus, isn't it? <laughs> you take a course and it says, "Here's some assigned readings," and you've read two or three of the books on the list, and you check those off the boxes, and you don't really have to read them. That's a great feeling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Jim, hey, with much ado, why don't you bring us to our first recommendation? Uh, well, it's, uh, it's it's yeah, it's the book we both uh, encountered. Thank you for the Christmas gift, Winston. Ah, you're um, most welcome, my friend. And that is Atomic Habits. James Clear. Mm-hmm. J- yeah, James Clear's Atomic Habits and how to form good habits and relinquish bad ones. Yeah, I mean, I, I just recently finished that one this week. I know, Jim, you're almost finished. And, um, you know, perhaps with every book that we recommend, we can give a few tidbits of what we gain from it. And then readers or listeners can kind of determine for themselves whether or not they want to check it out. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of it is, you know, I found in the first, you know, 50, 60% of the book, it was a lot of just common sense, you know, Mm -hmm. restating things you really already know. Mm -hmm. But as you know, in our, this is one thing we had a short precursor conversation about. It's great, but are you practicing it? So it, it provides you that impetus to practice things you already know. Mm-hmm. And and then I found something extremely profound, mm-hmm. and um, you know his book is has somewhat of a business bent to it, but it can be applied to a lot of things. It doesn't mean that you're in business or any of that sort of thing, or it's career related. But um, one is motion is one thing, action is another. Right. So, the best thing I can say about motion and action, and I'll use a business example, is say I'm putting a really good document together as a as a you know a information about uh, a product for sales. Right. That's motion. Right. It's very useful. Mm-hmm. But action is actually contacting somebody and sending it to them. Right, right. You can prepare yeah. it all you want, but if it doesn't have an yeah. audience, it doesn't do much, right? It, 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 you're not going to make any money or have any success defined in uh, that marketing uh, lens 
unless you take action. Right, right. No, I but agree. I don't. I, I also don't think you have success if there isn't also some motion in that mm-hmm. equation, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I agree. And in life, we do that a lot, don't we? We we prepare, we prepare, we prepare for certain things, but if we don't execute the plan, it doesn't really make much difference, does it? You know, um, like for example, um, I don't know if you've gone camping recently. I I went camping. A long, long time ago, and one time I was preparing for this camping trip, and you was, you'd laugh, Jim. It was funny. I had all these things I prepared, like I had one of those tinfoil emergency blankets. <laughs> you know, they say that if you freeze to death, that this thin little, like uh, aluminum foil type looking, uh, shiny blanket's gonna protect you from the cold elements. I don't think so, but you know, it might radiate some heat. But I, last time I checked, I wasn't lying in a, in a, in a cooking pan and hoping to get heated by the sun, right? So. Um, and I bought like a collapsible uh, um, drinking uh, mug thing, you know, like a, a thing that basically a plastic container that shrunk down to a flat paper thing, you know, a flat little flat uh, collapsible. And yeah. I I got all these great tools. And I went on, I went all gangbusters at Three Vets, and I got all these great tools and gadgets for this to be fishing slash camping trip. And I was all ready to go, got everything packed, and then the trip got canceled. <laughs> oh. Well, you're think of it this way: you're prepared for the next adventure. Well, I, I, you know, it's like you know, I watched this, I saw this comic, and it's it showed this woman uh, sitting by the door, and it said, "Waiting for the perfect man." And then, so <laughs> the first scene shows her as a young woman, and then the next scene shows her as an old woman because she was still waiting. <laughs> And that, yeah, there's a there's a certain amount of participation required in in uh, how we walk through life. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. You know, you know, you have to buy our lottery ticket if you want to win, right? That, yeah, that that's there's a really good old joke about that. I yeah, won't, I won't I won't bother our our listeners with it. I'll save it for another day. But uh, for sure, yeah. So suffice it to say, we both enjoyed what James Clears had to say. Yeah, I thought you yeah. know as a quick summary of some other ideas that came with. You know, it was talking about how, you know, if you want to change bad habits, you actually should not just focus on setting a goal, but actually focus on the the system you're using to try to achieve your goal. Like, try to make it easier for yourself to achieve it by changing somewhat of your environment and your system of achieving that goal, which I thought was kind of pretty thought-provoking because, you know, for example, you know how he was saying in the book, um, like, if you want to start doing push-ups every day, like you try to do it at the exact same time, like get out of the shower, or do a push up, you know, or or have a system that is an automatic routine to make it easier yeah. for you to achieve it. And then also, you know, basically making it obvious for behavior change, making it easier for the behavior change and, and make it satisfying. And then I think something about being attractive. So make, yeah, make the behavior attractive, make it easy make it satisfying and make it obvious. Those are the four laws of behavior change or something. And I, I, I think I'm going to present something that's got some serendipity to it. Okay, go for it. So um, I do a little bit of guitar playing and trust me, uh, I'm not going to ever... Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. Yeah, use Jimi Hendrix right on the side, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a long <laughs> way from that. I enjoy it. It's a it's it's a it's a joyful struggle. That's my best right, way to right. describe it. Mm-hmm. And, and I bought an uh, uh, online set of lessons for a year subscription through. Um, it's called Tony's Acoustic Challenge. Oh wow! Okay. 
Tony Polly Castro. Okay. And I can't say I've been very, you know, the first month I was really dedicated to it. And, um, life had a couple turns where I just didn't pick up the guitar for, you know, quite a while. And then I've gotten quite back at it more mm. just self, uh, instead of following Tony's program, but there's still use there for it. So I'll still be using it. Long story short mm-hmm. or short story long. Sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, 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 anyway, uh, Tony does have this thing called acoustic Tuesday where you get an email and it's a, about a 25 minute to 30 minute video of about all things acoustic for the guitar. And being the, you know, the start of the new year, the first acoustic Tuesday, he, he makes five recommendations about, um, um, staying to your practice routine. And a couple of them were absolutely in sync with what James Clear said. It was like he had just read James Clear's book and put it on this video and I was listening to it. Mm. So one was something that you've elaborated, elaborated to is habit stacking. If your habit is to have a cup of coffee every morning, then do your 15, minute, uh, 15 minutes of guitar every day right after your coffee or while you're having your coffee. That's, you know, both of those are possible. Right. Right? Right. Um, make it enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Make it achievable is another uh, James Clear principle. Right. You know, if, if you say I'm going to play guitar every day this year and I'm going to practice an hour a day, maybe that's not achievable. Right. So ten, right. ten minutes a day is achievable. Mm-hmm. And when you exceed 10 minutes a day, you're now in bonus time. Yeah. 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 No, I, I like that. And yeah. it, it makes it so it's an enjoyable process rather than um, making it uh, uh, like a tedious thing that you feel like you're dreading every day, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Another thing that was kind of cool that he was talking about how like your human, your behavior is kind of shaped by your environment a lot of the times, right? Yeah, and and you, sometimes your environment um, needs to change to to get the behavior to change. Yeah, and I mean everybody has a you know um, a creature comfort or a, a struggle that is um, we know we should change but we don't. You know, when you're sitting down watching TV, do you reach for the chips or you reach for the healthy snack, right? And honestly, there's a balance between the two. I don't believe that it's always healthy to reach the healthy snack <laughs> reach for the healthy because there's a certain craving that needs to be filled somewhere there right um you might have a salty salty um uh lean towards uh, a salty snack for a reason maybe you need salt in your diet who knows right yeah i i think there's a certain intuition that our body has about what we need a lot of times yeah and and is that an indulgence or a habit Exactly. Yeah. I mean, everything in moderation will probably lead you to a better path, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, by the way, uh, the gift that you sent me, which is something really close to the heart with with your creations, uh, both you and Colleen, were much appreciated. They are finished off in due time. (laughs) (laughs) Outstanding. (laughs) So that, that, that was really good. So that's what I'm saying. There's a healthy indulgence to that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. that, that was our first book recommendation, which we both have been reading. And is there anything kind of that you can surprise me with with a recommendation that I may not have heard about yet? Well, I'm going to go into the fiction realm. 
Okay, let's go for it. And I'm going to go into the golf novel. Oh, good. Okay, go. Of the fiction realm. And I, I've discovered through uh, my brother-in-law two really interesting authors. Okay. And their books. And I've read three by one gentleman, Truen McAllister. Truen and those McAllister. three books. Yeah, those three books are The Green, The Foursome, and Scratch. And he has a fourth one out now that I'll acquire at some point this year. But basically it centers around a really interesting character who's outside the realm of the normal golfer, Eddie Caminetti. Uh-huh. And, and he's just a really he, – he, he puts Eddie in some really enjoyable situations, and, and uh, he's a hustler. You know, and um, you know, in one novel they think he's died, but that's not actually the case. And and, uh, it, and uh, he, he's he's just very entertaining. You know, it, it's it's uh, all three of the books that I've read uh, in this uh, Troon McAllister series have all been uh, you know great page turners, and um, and there's some actually some really good. Uh, Tips about golf in it as well. Oh, really? That's cool. Yeah. I just yeah. Uh, Googled it just to figure out uh, how to spell his name. So his name is Troon McAllister, T-R-O-O-N. So it's not a common name, right? Troon? That's correct. Yeah. Correct. And yeah. then McAllister, M-C-A-L-L-I-S-T-E-R. So I found his book on Amazon for those people interested. And it is the, the one of the ones that, that Jim was mentioning, The Green, a novel, uh, was released in 2000. <clears throat> so... You can find that there, but at least they'll they'll know how to figure out the name. Because first I thought it was prune, <laughs> but it's actually trune. So just like it sounds, trune, and uh, it has some pretty good reviews here too, like four and a half stars. So obviously people like the the genre of what he's saying, and actually you know with a pretty good review of that too. So you learned a lot from that. Eh? Some analogies about life through it too. Oh, there's a little bit there, but it's just it's just. Um... Here again, I, I think um, there's a certain perspective on on golf. There's a certain um, I don't know if you want to call it hierarchy or privilege associated with golf. Mm, mm-hmm. And he's not that kind of guy at all. He's 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 not in that bent. And you know he he takes money from all sorts of guys. You know professional golfers. Uh, um, that he introduces in the novel and is just extremely, I would classify these books under entertainment, right? Right, right. And, and, and within entertainment, there's the odd nugget of truth, right? So, right, right. Yeah. And <clears throat> so that's one author on the golf side. Mm-hmm. And um, another author on the golf side is Rick Riley. And okay. Two two books of his that I've I've read are Missing Links and Shanks for the Memory. <laughs> Shanks for the Memory, I love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're both, you know, they're they're really kind of out there, uh, but entertaining as heck, you know. And uh, you know, it's, it kind of centers around, you know, a, a public golf course that's of not the highest caliber. Or reputation, right? And a group group of people that um, like to wager as they golf. 
it's, it's, they're quite entertaining as well. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's cool. What was the name of the author again? Rick Riley. R-E-I-L-L-Y. Okay, got it. Got it. Okay, just making some notes here from my uh, golfing friends. Because <laughs> I, I actually uh, already uh, wish-listed the, the Troon McAllister one for friends that are into golf, just in case I need to get them a gift in the future, you know? Yeah, and, and I highly recommend the green. To read the rest of them without having read the green doesn't right. let you fully understand the main character, Eddie Caminetti. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, yeah, it, it yeah. got really good reviews. I mean, the green as a novel got really good reviews, and it's not very expensive. So if no. you're into golf, I think that might yeah. be an angle, you know? And, you know, like like uh, Jim and I were talking about, not all our books have to be life-changing books. They just have to be very entertaining books or something we might have got a nugget of good information from. And um, we, we just want to be one of those sources for you as listeners uh, of um, things that come across our, our bench or, or our life, our desk. And that might have been useful, that you might find useful as well. But like you said, it's all relative to each person's life experience and perspective. So whether or not you like them or not, take it with a grain of salt, right? Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And, so, um, mm-hmm. you know, if you golf and you've and you got a group of buddies that you golf with, and, you know, there's, there's obviously some, a little bit of competition within them and, and that sort of thing, it's... Uh, I think it would be these are books that you would appreciate. Yeah, no, I you get, gave me an idea, and I think I might get that for a buddy of mine yeah. that's really yeah. into golf, and um, I think he'd actually really enjoy it. And you know what I've been doing lately, Jim? Uh, you know, and my friend circle will appreciate this. You know, because these days, because of the pandemic and the COVID restrictions, we can't see any friends. I like to keep people uh, aware that that you know their friendship is still important to me, and then. Uh, Randomly, I'll just surprise them with a, maybe a gift from Amazon or something. That just a, a quick delivery. It might not be an expensive thing, maybe a ten or twenty dollar item, right? Since we're not able to go out and have any lunches and, and uh, dinners together or coffee or anything, I figure for the same amount that I would have spent on them over a cup of coffee or a dinner, I'm just going to send them something so that it perks up their day. You know, just a little thing. Yeah, very thoughtful. Well, you know, I just thought it's the karma that comes back and forth because we don't know how everybody's doing this mental state of basically being isolated for so long within our immediate families. And sometimes those little perks can really change our day, you know? Yeah, that and um, I typically go with, uh, you know, send a text or a phone call or just to or an email just to touch base. No yeah. reason. Yeah, just seek some contact. I mean, it's valuable for both of us no oh for sure it. yeah i mean with this pandemic and and uh, all this isolation has also helped us have some time to do our own podcasts for a while because we were we were a little bit of hiatus for the 2019 year and life got busy and then uh but you know we had a pretty uh, marquee uh, episode there it seemed to draw the listeners in <laughs> for 2019 <laughs> and then uh, we're hoping we can duplicate for 2021 so this is our first episode here and uh oh okay so you've got the the Two uh, authors that are uh, golf related, which I think will really appeal to people who are like really into golf, and I think there is quite a big audience for that, actually. Oh, I I think so. And you know, where do you find a good golf novel? How do you how do you figure out what's where the wheat from the chaff lies? So, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so, I, I I think if just my suggestion that way you help someone, that's great. Sure. Um, so. 
I've presented a, a couple of ideas on the fiction side. Winston, what, what might you have for us? Oh, okay. Well, thanks, Jim. Um, I have a bunch of... Uh, I've got a couple of books that I thought on the the nonfiction side, more of the... I, it was a phase in my life when I was looking at a lot of um, personal development, both financial and also from uh, self-help side, and um, just personal development. And then, you know, I was looking at my library, because we have a, a room in our house that's got all our, our books that we've accumulated over time. And then in my office, I have books too. But um, one of the books that I, I scanned across that I'd forgotten about for a long time was um, The Wealthy Barber from David Chilton, you know, Canadian author, well-known. Um, I didn't grab as much as I think a lot of people did from it because I already le- like learned a lot of the concepts on my own through my, my family because we had a lot of small businesses. But The Wealthy Barber book is kind of a classic that is now in its multiple edition and has you know f- future editions and, and, uh, and um, takeoffs from that original book. But The Wealthy Barber's philosophy at the time was that, you know, in a, a quick summary, it was about a fellow who... Um, it through a story um, how you could be a wealthy barber basically you could have a very simple straightforward job you know and uh, still accumulate by putting away your savings in a in a methodical format and become wealthy at the end of your career you know and um, you know I, I thought about that book not because I you know I devoured it in the sense that I would go back to it all the time but it always reminded me that there are many paths to achieve your goals in terms of financial wealth without having to, you know, have that uh, necessarily start off with a six or seven figure income in order to make it happen. In fact, what from my experience, um, from you know speaking with friends and people that have become very financially successful, a lot of them didn't start out with much money at all, and also a lot of them didn't start off and um, never even reached uh, crazy wealth in terms of a mo- like a yearly salary. They just basically were able to be disciplined enough to put money that they didn't need for day-to-day living away, you know? The primary tenant of the wealthy barber is pay yourself first. Yeah, and I think that yeah. that it's totally makes yeah. sense because if yeah. you don't pay yourself first, who's going to, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And and I, I would add one other tenant. It's not really spoken in the book. Yeah. But to me, it's live within your means. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think now in the millennials phase – it's not as relevant anymore in terms of the way that you build the wealth because of some of the goals are are a little bit targeted in a different direction. He has updated the book with different versions. Um, but the philosophy of paying yourself first should still remain. I think that if you... I think there's a tendency in our society to spoil ourselves first rather than to uh, pay ourselves first. Because <laughs> we, we work hard enough that we feel that we need a, like a, a reward. And sometimes you won't get it from other people, so you go out there and go on the trip or vacation or buy yourself that shiny new car or something, right? I'll, I'll, I'll say that that is um, treating yourself. Mm. But it's, it's delayed treatment. It's yeah. making sure that you're you have a secure future and bumps in the road don't hit you as hard and and um, you know home ownership possibilities and and on and on it goes. Yeah, so, yeah. As a you know, as a summary, I remember him saying in the book like saving ten percent of everything you earned, you know, and then you know save it for long term uh, growth of your savings. And back then, I mean, ten percent sounded like 
you know, a usable sum. And it still is, but it's just not significant enough to make, like, the type of wealth that people our age or, or like, younger people are looking to towards um, get certain goals like they want, like they're, uh, like, buying a home or things like that. I think the percentage would have to be increased in order to achieve those goals a lot of times. Yeah, and I'll just share with you how I encountered the book. I, I got it as a Christmas gift from my sister. Oh, okay. And at the time, the economy wasn't all that great around here, and, and I just completed, uh, you know, six months previous, I'd not even, yeah, about six months previous, I'd completed that my nine-month trip to Australia I talked about. Mm-hmm. So I was really just reestablishing myself. I was 31 at the time, read the book, thought it was, read it in, you know, very few days. Mm-hmm. Found it extremely entertaining mm-hmm. and unbelievably easy to uh, learn the principles right. that, he, that he talked about. You know, some of the other ones are ownership versus ownership, uh, um, you know, making your money work for you and um, the, the, the type of insurance you want to own. And, you know, it's, it's just really basic fundamental stuff. Mm. But it's it, it, you know I still retain those things today just because of reading that book. Mm. Yeah, you don't you don't need to be a um, somebody trading options to be a successful investor. All you need is discipline mm-hmm. and consistency. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was just reading a review about this wealthy barber book, and he was saying. Uh, this this uh, this uh, blogger was saying that back in the day when you look at the wealthy barber book, the example that they put in there was that a house was ninety thousand dollars. <laughs> and and I, then, I, I, yeah, I had the pleasure of seeing David Chilton present the principles of the wealthy barber in person after having read the book. He's oh. extremely entertaining speaker. Wow. Yeah. Really? How long ago was that, Jim? Oh, I think that would have been. I don't know, 91, 92. When I wow. read the book, I think it was 19, Christmas of 89. Yeah, this is interesting. So anybody who picks up the book, don't get uh, misguided about the numbers. But the the blogger here mentioned that uh, it would make them cry to see the prices of houses back then. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah. in, the, in the example, in the book, it talks about a couple that makes about 40000 a year. And the mor- the couple has a mortgage for seventy thousand dollars for a house that's worth ninety thousand. And now, yeah. in the same location in Sarnia and Toronto or around that area, the same house would probably cost a million dollars. So, in order to have that same ratio, um, the author of this blog, uh, let me see if I can find her name, uh, Sarah Blake, she was saying that the couple, the equivalent couple, would have to make about four hundred thousand a year. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that that's a great. Um, relative thing so credits kudos out to sarah blake there at sarahblakecreative.com i almost like to help our fellow bloggers and uh podcasters out there um but just the idea that some books just they don't stand the test of time with their content but the ideas behind them still exist you know yeah and and um you know one of the things he talks about in the book Mm-hmm. is that one of the regular visitors to the barbershop doesn't own property. He prefers to rent because he thinks tying his money up, having a mortgage is not the best way for him to achieve financial independence. 
Yeah, no, I remember that one too. Yeah. Um, so he, the, the key thoughts were like, um, uh, you know, uh, planning, financial planning, um, you know, saving the 10%, um, not spending uh, more money than you make, which is a hard thing to do sometimes in certain months because sometimes there's more month at the end of the money, right? Yes. And then not buying, you know, not making big purchases. And here, and, and you know, the main thing here, I, I, I'm kind of torn between this, you know, sometimes in life, you know, it doesn't financially make sense to make a big purchase, like say, i.e., uh, like a impractical car or something like that, right? But I think there is an emotional component that I think that you have to temper with timing because you'll also get that far end of the spectrum saying, you know, of people saying you only live once, you know, cat only has nine lives. <laughs> the idea is that you can save the, your whole life and then something completely unexpected can hit you off left field, right? And then you're going to regret like not taking those chances. Like I, I would say I know a lot of people that held back, held back, held back, going on particular trips until their retirement. But now this doesn't seem like such a great idea because you won't be able to go places for a while, right? And, um, you know, my daughter was uh, mentioning, because we were, she graduated last year, and we had been saving up for a, a family trip to go to Japan. And um, she was saying, see, I told you so, Dad, we should have gone earlier. You know, we shouldn't have waited until I graduated. <laughs> and I mean... It was a milestone for her to graduate, so we thought that would be a nice perk to go to Japan as a family trip, right? You know, uh, but now that seeing the unexpected happen with the pandemic, we may not get that chance again, you know, for a while, you know. Um, or you, you stay the course and, and you're, you know, it's it's funded because you you still have the vision. This oh, won't yeah. last. This won't last forever. No, it will happen. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. timing might be different for sure. Yeah. I mean, the feeling will be different. Or, or you can advise your daughter that perhaps um, it gives her an opportunity to financially contribute to the trip. Exactly. You know, <laughs> that's that, I like that tip the best of all of them. You know, that's yeah. one of the better tips of them all. Hey, do you know, Jim? On a on a nice note, as I'm scrolling through our Seize the Day podcast, we've had over a thousand downloads. That's outstanding. Yes, and 28 episodes so far, so I think we deserve a pat on our backs. (laughs) Outstanding. So thank you to our listeners as well. We've we've kind of used travel in a a wealthy barber perspective. Right. And I agree with you. Um, You know, if life isn't 100% all about savings. No, no, I I agree. Right. And there's a reason why you put 10% away. Right. To achieve and, the goals you want to achieve. Yeah, exactly. And everybody's goals are different. That doesn't mean you wait until you quit working. Yeah, for sure. you got to yeah. live along the way. You can't live yeah. all at once, you know? So I'm going to present two books. Okay. One is a travel book. Oh, great, great. Uh, and it was the one I was talking about, finding it at the Safeway um, checkout. In, oh, okay, great. Uh, in 1988 mm-hmm. by Don Starkel called Paddle to the Amazon. Ooh, that sounds good. And it's a very interesting story. A father and two sons with a with a canoe they made, which is a larger canoe because of three paddlers. Uh-huh. Live in Winnipeg, British or sorry, Winnipeg, Manitoba. And they mm-hmm. uh, they the the goal of their trip is to paddle upstream in the Red River. Mm-hmm. 
at one point they go they then end up going downstream with a tributary i believe and they connect into the mississippi um, drainage system and they go all the way through the u.s out into the gulf of mexico along the coast of mexico and central america and the goal was to go through the panama canal they weren't allowed because their canoe wasn't considered uh, shipworthy. Okay. <laughs> so then they have to go over to Trinidad and Tobago and across to South America that way because of the currents around the canal. Wow. And then they go into the Orinoco River, upstream to the Orinoco River, and then across into the Amazon and then back down to the Atlantic. And that's the trip. It takes a couple of years to do. Wow. I, won't tell, I won't tell our readers any more about it, but I find there was one, well, there, it's a story on more than one level. Um, it's father and sons. It's um, entering different cultures, entering different geopolitical situations. Um, so I, I like it when there's multiple levels to something you're reading. Right, right. Yeah. So, you know, and it just was a a book about travel and I was traveling and it just seemed like, you know, it was the, although they were completely different type of travels, um, that it it was an interesting way to, to share the book or to, to encounter the book. And I was actually a little bit, uh, disappointed when I got to the end of the book because um, I didn't have it anymore while I was traveling. Oh. But but I had it with me and I went uh, over to New Zealand for five weeks and I was on a on a afternoon guided rented sea kayak trip. Really? And um, the guy whose business it was, you know, got chatting with him, New Zealand guy. He said he'd spent time in Canada and been in the Okanagan Valley and worked as an apple picker and did very well as an apple picker, financed his travels and all that sort of stuff. You know, we were chatting and he says, oh, yeah, you've done some traveling too then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I says, well, I put my address in the book and said, just send it back to me in Canada. You know, it's, it's, it's just a book I really enjoy. But here you go, read it. Wow. So so he, he read it and he, and to his word he mailed it back to me in Canada. No way, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I still have the copy of that book. I actually have two copies of that book. Um but anyway, so I thought that's kind of a cool thing about about what you give away comes back to you. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, I'm just reading on uh, my uh, phone here. That this this book uh, it's currently out of stock right now, but it'll probably come back in eventually. But it got like five stars and sounds like an incredible journey. What a, what a what a thing to go through with your son, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I say, it was a two year adventure. So yeah, and he did a yeah. follow up to it, uh, paddle to uh, another one. Like he did uh, paddle to um, paddle to the Arctic. Did you know that? Yes, I was aware of that. I haven't I haven't found that book. Uh, I should. Um, and I, I know the author has passed, um, passed away, I think 2006, but I'm not positive because I just serendipitously heard an interview with, uh, or heard a guy do a piece on it 
on a bit of a podcast on CBC Radio not too long ago, like within the last six weeks. So really? they were kind of providing some updates about and a, and a little bit of an interview with the one son. So it was it, actually both sons. Sorry. Uh, yeah, it was just like wow. Took me way back. It was it was a gift in itself hearing that. Wow, this is pretty. Uh, look at the synopsis for that one to the Arctic. This is Don's diary of a journey from Churchill, Manitoba to Tuktoyukuk, uh, close to Alaska, a voyage by kayak that took him three Arctic summers and almost cost him his life. <laughs> wow! Through this compelling book, we find ourselves sharing this blazing, determining, driving determination to reach this goal. As he closes in on his destination, with his supplies running out, his ocean highway freezing over, masking death near certainty, armchair travel at its best. <laughs> and then, unfortunately, he passed away in 2012. Yeah, sorry, I had it out, out by a little bit. Yeah, so it's about three hundred and forty-four pages, and uh, he, um, yeah, and he passed away in two thousand and twelve. There, Jim. Yeah, I'll, I'll have a look for that. That could be an interesting read as well. Yeah, it's kind of sad, you know, that um, that he passed away. But you know, I mean, he definitely lived when he was living for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Quite something. Quite something. So that's a, that's a good one. Um, Let's see. Uh, well, moving on from there, um, you know, that, those are great tips so far. These You've, you've actually brought something really deep because I, I haven't thought of those type of books like the golf one and also this adventure book. And those are opening up new areas that uh, I normally wouldn't have, have sought out, right? Yeah, I'm just going to toss one out there that we've discussed in the back or an, past or an author that we've discussed in the past. Sure. And that is Stuart McLean. And oh, Vinyl, Stuart McLean, yeah. The Vinyl Cafe series. Uh, yeah. And and some of his other writings, too. Uh, Stuart McLean's Morningside. Um, he does a book about small town Canada's. Small town Canada, where he goes to six or seven different towns and spends a fair bit of time and writes about it. And I just found his writing exceptionally good and entertaining. And, yeah, um, and I, I really enjoyed um, the Vinyl Cafe series, and I, you know, listened to them all from time to time. Mm-hmm. But uh, reading uh, about the trials and tribulations of uh, Dave and Morley has been very, very entertaining as well. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah. That Stuart yeah. McLean's uh, work is is quite something. Actually, I saw it at, at a great deal at Costco one year uh, during Christmas, and. Um, you know, they had uh, different things for Christmas at the Vinyl Cafe and and um, like an audio book series that you could just, you know, pop in your car and listen while you're on the long drives. And it's really nice to have that, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm going to share one recommendation, short story recommendation mm-hmm. to my fellow uh, beer aficionados out there. Okay, sure. <laughs> and this comes from Stuart McLean's Morningside Stories. Uh-huh. And uh, it's called the Stanley Street Tavern. And I'll let our, our uh, listeners research it, but I find it very humorous and <laughs> um, how could I put it? To ext- well, he, he makes a... He makes a um, a conclusion of somewhat that it's it's in respect of uh, the passing of the day Jacques Plant died. So, oh wow. Anyway, it's it, it, it's a very entertaining story, and and 
great humor. Yeah, I like yeah. leaving leaving uh, listeners dangling a little yeah, bit so yeah, they can yeah. search for themselves. It's a bit of a, a discovery because they can call it their own afterwards. Hey, yeah, I, I've got two books precisely. that I can recommend that on the nonfiction side as well that you might find interesting. You might have already read them too, Jim. So uh, the first book um, is a book by Malcolm Gladwell, uh, Blink, and it's it got it was a national bestseller, like New York Times bestseller as well. But Blink was one of those books that kind of left an impact because Malcolm Gladwell. Um, has written a number of books that have kind of been influential. And have you read this book before? Yes, I've read Blink, but I've read all but um, Talking with Strangers or Talking to Strangers, his latest one. Right, I haven't read that so, either. So actually, you know, he's so good at his research and so entertaining in how he presents it that all his books kind of meld together. Yeah, I know. Uh, you, you know, and that's not a bad thing. Yeah. 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 And I, 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 well, the thing I took away from that book was this idea that he had about what they called, um, thin slicing. And it's like, like basically, I think he, he was talking about how you can take uh, a little bit of experience or information, like, about something and then make a decision on it. It's almost like a gut intuitive decision. And then sometimes those gut decisions, are almost as good as like heavily researched ones. Everybody's come across this. You know, you have a, you you you're thinking about making a purchase. You look at the specs. You put these two cars side by side. Which one should I buy? This one has better horsepower. This one has better specs. But at the end of the day, for some reason, you like this particular car. You don't even know why, but it just suits you better, and you go for it. I would say that a lot of times in our life, we, a lot of our decisions are emotionally based. Anyways, we go with our gut feeling. And then we try to work our justifications around them anyways. But I thought Blink was kind of pivotal to introduce me to Malcolm Gladwell. And then the funny thing is, you know, Jim, I wrote Malcolm Gladwell a quick email after I wrote, read the book because it had an email address that you could write him, like write to the publisher at the time, right? Yeah. And ironically, I wrote, wrote him and he wrote a one letter, one word back to me and he wrote, thanks, MG. <laughs> <laughs> The funny thing is, I think the only reason he had the time to write me back was because this was in the beginning when he launched the book, when it, it was just gaining popularity. It hadn't become the bestseller yet. And uh, he wrote me back. It was kind of funny, right? I write this like, you know, I like to be a little bit verbose, at least a paragraph or two, right? And uh, he writes me back, thanks, lowercase, with a little dash, MG. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's a little wordier when he writes. His, yeah. Uh, is is articles and it's made me think well how interesting you read from him or read what he writes right and how well it's researched and how well it's presented and the fact that he writes for the new yorker is that is that a publication worth getting right. i've never acted on it right um, right right and i'm sure it's probably a you know comes in electronic format now Probably if you live in New York, you can get it in paper too. But uh, that thought gave me a question to you. Mm -hmm. Do you prefer paper or e-reader or both? Um, you know, I, I can't really say I've read that many books by e-reader, even though I have all the technical gadgets. I've got Kobo Reader. I've got iPads, iPhones, um, so many avenues for digital. And I mean, I guess... From a forced perspective, we're reading all the time websites and documents and work emails all the time. So I think the escape 
for me is 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 silencing the noise and primarily I still enjoy the interaction with a physical book that I can turn pages on and bookmark and put a a tab on because it seems like a more of an escape than it is to pick up a digital device even though you can modify the fonts right and portably and you know these days it's not as much of an issue because most of us are staying at home anyways right we're not going anywhere so the portability aspect is not as significant as it was if you're commuting a lot so I still prefer uh, reading a physical book how about you I, I, I'll say absolutely yes on, on everything you've said about the physical book. Right. But I see the value in an e-reader. Oh, for sure. Like the it, weight it, alone. It, yeah, portability if you're traveling and it's a book you can get uploaded because not everything can get uploaded. Um, things like that, right? Um, mm. I, you know, I, I'm not going to be a purist and say I'll, I'll only ever read a book in paper. Mm-hmm. Because I, you know, I see I see some benefit to the e-reader. But uh, that being said, given the choice, I'd choose paper. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. takes a bit of a physical space, but there's a, some kind of connection that the humans have with actually paper. I think there's a I think the medium of paper as a whole um, it has a better feel to it. You know, I mean, I think about even when I write notes, for example, I'm taking notes as we're doing this podcast. I like to take notes about. Um, you know what topics we've covered in case I come up with a great idea afterwards, um, and I find that it, there's more of an interaction with pen and paper than there is if I type it out on my phone or my, you know, on my computer. Even though as a very techie person who has a lot of gadgets and stuff, I just find that there's something meaningful about putting pen to paper or interacting with a page that you can't seem to duplicate as easily with. Um, a virtual reader, although it's convenient. Like if I had thirty books, I would definitely wouldn't want to be lugging them around, right? But um, it seems satisfying to walk into a room where you have a library or a bookshelf and seeing all your books. I don't think I could duplicate it by one e-reader that had five hundred books in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's and you know there's the upside of of a Marie Kondo minimalism idea that all you really need is the e-reader because you're going to pay for a lot of space to. Was five hundred books for sure, but hell, you know, it's not it's, it's not it's not as uh, satisfying to to walk into a library and see a little e-reader in the corner rather than a bunch of books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, agree. I agree. Oh, I have another book I gotta recommend. Um, this is a book I've bought for other people before. It's a small book uh, with a bunch of little good tidbits. Don't sweat the small stuff uh, by Richard Char- Richard Charlton. Um, small book, great introductory read for a young one or teenager or someone just getting out of school. But I just found there was a lot of uh, value in a lot of his tips. Short anecdotal, uh, one or two page book, uh, uh, one or two page tips uh, that are in the book. And he created a whole series based on it. He's passed away since then, um, but he did create a whole series. Um, and I think a lot of people would enjoy this book. And I don't know if you've ever read this or any part of a series. Uh, yeah, I've seen it. I never did read it. Um, yeah. It's a great... I, it's a great I, I, sorry, I, I just have a little bit of a a challenge with his perception of what small is and what my perception of what small is. Ah, yeah. See, this is the thing. It's a matter of perspective, yes. right? And then yeah. some things that may be considered small to others may be a bigger issue for others. And then so... It could be almost minimalizing certain issues that might be bigger, right? Yeah, there's more at play than just um, what the actual thing is. How was it presented to you? 
um, you know, was there animosity in the presentation yeah. of, of what, what's being asked of you, you know, blah, blah, blah. So there's, you know, there, it's like communication. There's more context than sitting with somebody and talking with them. There's uh, tone of voice and body language. And, you know, that's all part of communication. Yeah. The thing I, my takeaway point for his stuff is that it is a, a simplified, condensed version of, of, of a psychology book in a sense, right? Trying to uh, make you more relaxed and stress-free in that standpoint. But the, I think what it does is it gives you an avenue to refocus and actually challenge your own thoughts about something uh, in a better way. In some sense that even if you know, you're know you not in complete agreement about the, the takeoff from the way he's saying to refocus, because like you said, there's a lot of uh, underlying context uh, for things, you know? It's still valuable to sort of re-examine what you're doing in your life to determine whether or not it's really as important as you think it is. Oh, uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Couldn't couldn't agree with you more. If if it gets you to ask a question of yourself, it's been successful. Sure, sure. Hey, yeah. so do you have any other um, uh, nonfiction tips for us there, Jim? Any book recommendations? Well, I, I'm going to move on to a different category of nonfiction book, and that's the biography. Oh, great! Let's talk some biographies. So I've read a couple, and one was just kind of on a whim. It was on a blowout sale. It was in a hardcover. Uh-huh. Um, it was Randy Bachman's Taking Care of Business. Oh, really? That sounds yeah. good, yeah. And it was it was really good. I really enjoyed it. And I lent it to somebody. I don't remember who I lent it to, so it's out there in the universe, which is that's where it belongs, that's where it belongs. <laughs> but, but I really enjoyed it. It was an education into how the music industry functions. Right, right. Um, you know, um, it was relationships in bands he was in. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it was about some of his personal relationships. Uh, um, it was about how successful he was as a young musician in Winnipeg. Uh, he was off playing traditional. Ukrainian weddings on weekends and making as much money as his dad, who was an op, um, uh, not an optometrist, an um, optical guy, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, he made glasses and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Optician is the term I'm looking for. Oh, right. It, okay. it, you know, um, just because he had the skill of playing music. That's pretty you know, cool. And, and, and yeah, it was a good book. I enjoyed it. Um, you know, he's not everybody's cup of tea for as far as music goes, but you know, he's obviously you know, anytime you can uh, you can be in two different bands that have the success that he had with those two bands, and I've I've seen him live on a second row. It was a birthday present, a set of tickets to see him on a Saturday night in Cranbrook. Uh, he he was on a Every song tells a story to her, and it was outstanding. It was a great show. So wow. was, that that made me appreciate the book even more. You know. Um, any anyway, um, that's one. Mm-hmm. And the other is a book called Townie by Andre DeBoss the Third. Wow, that sounds pretty cool. And. Um, I've seen the movie, but I haven't read the book. He's the author of The House in Sand and Fog. Mm-hmm. And I just happened to be listening to Writers and Company, 
uh, with Eleanor Wachtel on CBC, and he was on there talking about his biography. Mm. And uh, it's it's a really interesting read. It's I would say it's not a pretty read. You know, he has a lot of aggression in his life, and he's a scrapper, and he's beating people up. Once in a while, he gets beat up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's a story of kind of maybe a little bit where that comes from, and it, it, it's a story about Townie is, it's, it's set in kind of the Massachusetts, Boston area, and Townie's a bit about, that's a derogatory term if you live in a certain part of town, mm-hmm. right? Um, means you don't have a lot. And, and uh, you know, there's a lot about um, his family situation mm-hmm. and how challenging that was. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's all sorts of interesting insights that you can see when looking at somebody else's life, how they've written about it. Um, and entertaining, mm-hmm. uh, and like I say, times it's not very pretty, but that doesn't mean it's bad. I, I found actually part of that to be quite good because of its honesty. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting find. You know, like that's an avenue I hadn't thought about. You know. Yeah, um, it's it's uh, in my library. I just pulled it out of the library. <laughs> yeah, or the bookcase. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I like what yeah. we're, um, you know, the avenue that we're going with this because we have such diverse differences, even though we're, we've been friends for so long, right? And, um, uh, you know, I was looking, I was doing the same thing this morning. I was looking in my library to see what kind of hit me to, to talk about, you know? And, you know, you scan your library of all the books that you have, and some uh, different moments in time remind you of when you picked up a book. And another influential book that I came across a long time ago. I actually uh, saw this on a episode of Oprah uh, back in the day when she used to be on the air, and um, she was interviewing this fellow um, Gavin De Becker uh, on for his book *The Gift of Fear*, right? And if you've never read this book, it's quite interesting because Gavin De Becker is like a like a violence and security specialist. He founded a company that helps like law enforcement and stuff to uh, prepare against violence and things like that. And it was basically the synopsis of the book is about how you can use your survival instinctive signals that are intuitive to your to yourself or each human being to protect yourself from violence. And he was talking about I remember he, he had this analogy, Jim, you know, where let's say you're a single woman about to enter a confined space, which is like an elevator, and there's a guy in there that you don't feel good about. Like the minute the doors the doors slide open, you've hit the button the door slide open you see a shady character in the elevator do you choose to walk in the elevator and be in that confined space with him or do you let the doors close and catch the next one and from a social standpoint we feel obligated to walk in the elevator right because we've hit the button it's stopped makes sense we're making a judgment on a person if we think we're not you know if that person's not safe right but the, what he's trying to say is that trust your intuition if you don't feel safe about it Trust the gift of fear and let that elevator close and go by. Yeah, and, and it's, yeah, it's, it, it, your intuition exists for a reason. Right, and it's, it's like human beings are the, one of the few 
animals and we a lot of times we try to elevate ourselves past a, a dog or a cat but we're really just still human beings we're homo sapiens and animals in the sense that we should deny our fear or our intuition and i think a lot of times we get ourselves in trouble when we deny our intuition i, you, I agree. I agree you know i mean how many times have you had a sixth sense about something and knew that something was wrong and then you just you decide that intuitively you shouldn't do something or you should do something i think about you know um you know ever any kind of like mishap or accident that happens in your life and usually it happens in a split second right you know last year i had a scenario where i dropped a a heavy object on my foot and it was just during the the time when i was rushing to do something and i basically um had an intuition even before that happened that I should slow down. You know, the little voice is telling you, slow down, it's not worth rushing. But you kind of block that out because no, and you're, there's another voice, devil's advocate, that says, no, don't slow down, you're in a rush. <laughs> you know, you, you don't listen to that because you're so goal-focused or, or goal-oriented that you don't want to hear the voices that may tell trying to help you. You know, yeah, and so yeah, yeah. Sometimes and, yeah. our rational mind isn't able to handle the information that we're getting intuitively, even though that might be more accurate. Yeah, sometimes we overthink things and should let the natural aspect of life, yeah, um, supersede the brain. Yeah, so I think that that was a useful book. He has a series of other books uh, afterwards, but I thought that was a valuable book because when I did read it, it did leave an impact that you know especially for someone who has um, uh, a daughter or someone that uh, is concerned about um, safety, security of the people around them. I mean, definitely it kind of validates the need to trust yourself when you have a gut feeling about something and not second-guess it before you get concrete evidence to prove it, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, I think there's a lot to, to say about reading body language and also, um, you know, having a, a sixth sense about something that, you know, is built into our psyche. I think that sometimes we as human beings, we, we kind of undermine our the effectiveness of our intuitive sense over our, um, our logical sense. Like we, a lot of times people want concrete evidence before something happens, but sometimes you just have a feeling for it and it could be just as valid as... Um, as uh, having concrete details, you know, because how many decisions, uh, how many important decisions do we make based on gut intuition? Quite a few, right? Yeah, we do. I mean, the person that we decide to marry, the person we decide to be with, a lot of times is an intuitive decision rather than just logical. We don't. I'm sure most people don't take out a checklist to figure out who they decide <laughs> to to hang out with. Otherwise, the checklist would either be too short or too long. <laughs> And they're probably unsuccessful using that method. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, do you have anything new for us there, Jim? Any other books that you could you think well, come to mind? Yeah, I just want to touch on a couple. Okay. Um, on the adventure side, uh-huh. I read one. It was uh, lent to me by a friend. Oh, okay, great. And um, it's called The Raven's Gift by John Turk. Oh, wow. Mm. And uh, yeah, he's. Uh, He's quite a character. Um, there's um, there's a lot of very interesting um, parts of the world that he goes to, like unknown 
uh, areas, uh, you know, indigenous people that we'd probably never heard their ethnicity before. Uh, it's on a big adventure. He returns to the same place quite a few times. Um, yeah, there's tragedy in it, and and um, the universe's way of of sending a message to him after a tragedy, mm-hmm. which is is basically around centers around the title of the book. But I, I won't give any more away. It was a very good read. Um, you know, in, in so it, it's it's a lot different than Paddle to the Amazon for an adventure book. Mm-hmm. And and I'll I'll give one more shout out on the adventure side. Uh, author Bruce Kirkby who's written I've read all three of his books uh, The Sand Dance which is about taking a camel trip across the empty quarter uh-huh. in uh, in Saudi basically in the Saudi Arabia area I think there's more than one country involved there um, that's a very interesting read a book of called The Dolphin's Tooth which is a series of different you know adventures and then finally, one I just read over Christmas called uh, Blue Sky Kingdom. Oh, him yeah. And his, him and his wife and two kids go to high into the Himalayas in India and live in a, in a Tibetan uh, monastery for the better part of three months. And there's a lot of about going there and about returning. Or a lot about the travels there and just a little bit about returning because they come home by plane. But anyway, um, all very, very good books. Uh, I'd heard Bruce had been heavily criticized um, for his writing in uh, The Dolphin's Tooth. But, you know, this is a guy telling his story in his way. I don't uh-huh. I don't worry about structure or any of that and that sort of story. I mean, if it's if it's crap writing, it's crap writing. But I didn't find it that way. I found it all very interesting and and uh, worthy of a read. Mm-hmm. And, and Bruce is somewhat of a local guy now. He lives just you know thirty clicks up the road in Kimberley. And uh, I've had the pleasure of seeing him give a presentation to uh, the organization that I uh, retired from, uh, mm-hmm. the Regional District of East Kootenay, and. Uh, there would be a what's called a, a staff day where all departments would get together and do presentations and have a central speaker and and he's very dynamic speaker, very entertaining, very enjoyable and a good message as well. So uh, yeah, I, I just want to let everybody know about uh, his adventure books as well because we've talked quite a bit about adventure books. On, I don't know if you call it the self-help side or the philosophical side or the spiritual side. Definitely not the religious side, that's for sure. But two two books that I've read that I find found very good to read um, was Don Miguel Ruiz's The Four Agreements. Oh, yes, The Four Agreements. <laughs> I've read that too. It's yeah. a good book. Yeah, and Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now. Ah, another great one. Yeah, yeah. Great minds think alike. We both read those ones. <laughs> yeah, let's hope it's not fools never differ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On that same note of those two books, I don't know if you've ever read this one, but there's a book by Ken Keyes, um, the Handbook to um, Higher Consciousness. It was written in uh, 1972 or so, and it's actually a book that I saw in my library. I had forgotten about. Um, 
he had some really key like I said, not a very thick book, Jim. It's a, a thin book. I don't know if you come across it, but it had some really neat tidbits about how to live life and um you know, the the one takeaway I had from that one was like he was saying how in life the only real big problem you have in your life is not life itself, but how you're using your mind. Didn't this guy also write um Oh, it was turned into a movie. Um, unless I'm thinking of the wrong guy. Ken Kesey, am I saying it right? Uh, let's see. Did he do a movie? I'm not sure if it's the same. Um, I could yeah. have, how, how do you spell his last name? Uh, K-E-Y-E-S, uh, -E -E I think. That's how he's Okay, spelled. I got K-E-S-E-Y. Yeah, hmm. I think a different guy. Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah. That's the guy who wrote one over one flew over the cuckoo's nest. So yeah, pretty close. <laughs> On the same vein, <laughs> you know. But I mean, what you'll get from that this book um, is, uh, I think this this book has been pretty well renowned for the way it reframes um, the way people see uh, a, a perspective. Like um, it has. Um, a way of kind of making you rethink the way that um, uh, you see your problems, the the problems that you achieve in your life, and you know, and how we bring those things from a matter of perspective. You know, he's it's more about acceptance of certain scenarios in your life as well, and how to deal with it. Like, say, a flat tire. Like, do you focus your energy on the aggravation of that, or do you focus on, you know, do you, do you focus on the repairing of the tire thereafter, and um, I think the higher consciousness aspect is when you turn, I think one of the other aspects he talked about was turning uh, addictions into preferences, which I thought was pretty deep. He was saying that you can have a preference, uh, you can have an addiction to certain things in life, you know, like salty foods, chips, whatever. Yeah. But if you elevate it and bring it to a higher consciousness and turn it into a preference, then it doesn't own you. Ah, okay. Interesting, right? So you can have a preference, you can have an addiction per se of wanting to do something repetitively, but to take it to a higher level and just call it a preference or elevate it to the point where you have control over it is the key. So I thought that was that was a neat takeaway from from an addiction to preference, you know. And he he's done a lot of those kind of things. Like it's not a perfect book in any means. It's written in 1972, right? Yeah. Um, but there were a lot of good tidbits that I got from that from that book. Um, and I look back and, you know, you forget that these things have an influence on the way you see, right? Um, and then you you can see that that it influenced the way you think, but you didn't realize where that source was. Like, you don't immediately um, attribute it to a book that you've read, right? But one other thing that he mentioned was that, you know, we a lot of people have a scorecard in life that having more money than your neighbor or your friend or whatever is your scorecard or maybe having more... Um, uh, um, prestige or something in some way, or in more, more hobbies, or, or maybe even more knowledge than other people is a big, like thing to make people feel their ego is being filled. But he was saying that in that process, you're not actually looking for that. What you really want in life is most people are looking for a couple of key things, like um, a feeling of serenity, a feeling of peace of mind, and then ultimately a feeling of. Um, collective um i guess you'd call it oneness or something with other people right 
So feeling the feeling of being connected, because I mean, you don't want to be a wealthy millionaire that feels isolated and alone either, right? Yeah, there's. Um, well, wealth isn't all monetary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so he's basically yeah. trying to look at the deeper, uh, deeper meaning towards the thing that you're striving towards, you know. So if we just measure it with measuring sticks that are very finite, that's not the best way to perceive yourself. The Oh, and another tidbit I picked up from something else related but unrelated was that, I can't remember where I read this. This was something I was going to bring up to you this week. It wasn't even related to our book topic per se, but it was saying that you tie your identity to being some particular thing too tightly. And I think that was um, part of the Atomic Habits thing too. I read that Atomic Habits. How if you... You may not have gotten to the last chapter or somewhere in there, but there's one aspect where James Clear in Atomic Habits was saying that if you tie your, your identity to something, like being, let's say, a CEO or a dancer or something, and say, I am a dancer, I am a CEO, your identity is crushed once you're not that thing. So, for example, instead of thinking of yourself as a CEO, you could think of yourself as, I'm a person who builds businesses. Or instead of being a dancer and saying, I'm a dancer, let's say something tragic happens, you can't dance anymore. You could reframe it as someone who deeply enjoys dance. That that aspect of it can't be removed, but being a dancer could is fickle in a sense. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, it's finite. Right. And it's, yeah, um, I, I absolutely get what you're saying. And, yeah. And well, I, I heard a really interesting interview with, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Oh, wow, yeah. And I believe it was on Tavis Smiley quite a while ago. Mm-hmm. But he's authored some books. And, um, you know, he, he, he had obviously a career in athletics, but it didn't define him, or he didn't let it define him. He pursued other interests. Wow. So I, I found that pretty interesting from a guy with who was that successful, you know. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, on this whole vein of uh, influential books that have come in our lives, I, I started thinking about what defines a successful life, even though it's a little bit of a saw, saw, like a sideway takeaway segue from our main topic, right? And it's funny. Um, I think it was either my daughter or somebody asked me recently, he says, like, do you feel that you've lived a successful life? You know, like if you didn't achieve the original goals that you had, like, like for example... You know, when I was young, in my 20s, I had this grandiose dream of having this huge megapolis world headquarters that I have a helicopter pad on top of the building. <laughs> I actually built a small-scale model of the building I wanted to have, you know? So I had this small-scale model of the styrofoam and some, like, fake plexiglass and where the helicopter pad would be, where the, the, the welcoming fountain would be, the number of employees and all that stuff, right? And, I mean, as you know, the world headquarters is not quite that big. <laughs> <laughs> it's a work in progress, but I'm yeah, happy yeah. with the progress. Like, I mean, in a lot of ways, I feel I feel successful. I feel like I've achieved a lot of the goals that I wanted to achieve. Uh, comfortable living for myself and the family and um, time to spend with good friends like yourself to be able to afford to do uh, uh, like a, a booming podcast. <laughs> and I start thinking to myself, how do we define success and why does it change the way we define it as we get older or more mature? And I, I thought part of the reason why, you know, Jim, 
is because we ourselves change and our definition of success is constantly changing. Yeah, we're not the same person 40 years ago that we are today or 20 years ago or 10 years ago or whatever. Yeah, so yeah, our, yeah all, all that. Mm-hmm. Is, so is, by, once, yeah. we ch- once we change that perspective, then you, we might, you know, if, in our 20s, we might define success with, you know, more material goals or uh, marquees of success because we don't have the other awareness of deeper meanings, right? When life takes things away, it gives you something back, right? Yeah, yeah. So I I just would like to touch on one other reading genre. Sure. Uh, and that's short stories. Oh, okay, great. So, um, I, and I think this kind of ties into something you just said about perspective. One mm-hmm. short story that I was um, through an English course, Baldwin told to read. Mm-hmm. So, and that's, and I found it quite interesting because of the perspective, and that's Margaret Lawrence's The Merchant of Heaven. Oh, wow. And um, I I found it a really interesting read. And I, you know, I'm not going to tell anybody what it's about. It's up to you to to search it out and and find it. Um, But, in in that book there were some other authors I was um, enlightened to mm. one being Kurt Vonnegut oh Kurt Vonnegut yes and uh, I believe in that book it was Benjamin Franklin's Shaggy Dog that I read which then um, took me to buying Welcome to the Monkey House and reading his book of short stories and him putting yourself in different perspectives. So, mm. uh, yeah, just really, really, it, it's a it's a genre that I like because sometimes to be in a book is got more commitment than you need or you have, mm-hmm. but you can read a short story in a half an hour before bed or on your lunch break or whatever. Right, and right. It, it kind of keeps you reading. And there, there, there can be a lot to a short story. You don't need 200 pages to say what you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's deep. I mean, that's that's a different avenue about short stories that I haven't really considered. I, a lot of times I'll, like, my main avenue is, like, a complete book, which is really, sometimes it's hard to find the time to read a complete book. Um, you know, I'll, I'll start multiple books that drive my interest initially, and then, you know, read a few chapters and then put them aside until I feel ready to pick them up again. So I think constantly I'm in a cycle of reading partial books until I finally finish one. <laughs> uh, yeah, that 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 can happen. You, you can start a book and you're you're just not in the right space for it at the time. Doesn't mean it's it's not worthy of reading. Yeah, it, it's just where you're at at the time and you you set it aside. And, and uh, there's an old saying when the Student is ready, the teacher shall appear. Ah. So, you know, perhaps that's part of what that experience is about. Yeah. Hey, Jim, do you have any closing thoughts on any other uh, books that you've uh, found influential? Because this has actually been one of our longest episodes. It's already clicking at about an hour 31. So it's our 90-minute yeah. episode. Yeah. And I still got to get my yoga in today. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's a really, really old book about fitness and 
and um, a little bit about diet, more about fitness, and I'll touch on one diet book too, mm-hmm. or two diet books. But one, it's called Fitter Fat um, by Covert Bailey. Okay, yeah. And and a lot of people think if they have a bit of a physical job that they don't need to exercise because you know they get it at work. Right. Well, unless you're a you know a, um, a mountaineering guide or a, something like <laughs> that, or, or or you know a, a bicycle courier. Right. Yeah, you are getting physical benefit from work, but work is work and, and exercise is exercise. They're, they're two different things. Right, right, right. So you, you can't ignore uh, taking care of yourself physically because uh, of the type of job you have. Right. That, um, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's critical because like sometimes we can mix that up between the physicality of, of doing the work that we do as exercise when it's not dedicated exercise. I think the body knows the difference too, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And um, on the, I, and I hate to use the term diet, more on the eating plant side, and these are very congruent in what they present. There are nuances to them and they come at it from a different angle. But one is the bone broth diet, and the other is the zone. Oh yeah, you mentioned that, yeah. and you actually live walk what you talk because you have done the bone broth diet before. I've, so yeah, I've done both of them, mm-hmm. and yeah, they they both work. Um, and you know, it's about uh, macronutrient balancing and selection, right? Which means simply carbohydrates, proteins, and fats, and having them in the right caloric caloric content. Oh, cool. And um, the right types thereof. So, right, right. Yeah, you know, there's favorable and unfavorable, and and uh, those sorts of things. Right. Um, it, uh, yeah, and the bone broth diet has lots of other sorts of uh, interesting um, benefits to it. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I'll throw a couple of tidbits for our our listeners to research on their own. Um, as time is oppressing, you've got your yoga and I've got my VR gaming at some point too. <laughs> so, um, I, yeah, I, I won't spend a ton of time on it because these are easily searchable. Um, I call them the two Anthonys. There's a, a book, a classic from Anthony Robbins back in the day, Unlimited Power. Um, he made, he's become like a self-help guru over the years, but his first book, Unlimited Power, was one of his better books. And, um, he's had subsequent ones like Awaken the Giant Within and some other power books as well on money management that are being pretty good. I take from it the tidbits of it. I try to, you know, walk away from the sensationalizing part of it, but just looking at the content of the material, he's really good about summarizing multiple volumes of other people's knowledge and putting into a digestible format. I think that's his strength. And, um, you know, it's what we apply in life that matters, not what we just think about, right? And another book that I think is good is uh, Doing What You Love, Loving What You Do by Dr. Robert Anthony. He had a whole series of um, self-help type books and um, I, I found his stuff really clear and simple to follow and uh, it, most things by Robert, Robert Anthony are good anyways so I, I would you know recommend readers check that out and um, other classic authors like Napoleon Hill that you know they, he wrote the Think and Grow Rich series and everything else right. Um, 
things along those lines you'll probably find related authors that's another way to find books in that genre once you find one Amazon or other ones will recommend books like this so that's another easy way to find similar books yeah I, I would one of the things I would close with and it doesn't matter whether it comes from fiction or um, non-fiction mm -hmm. and you know you can read for pure knowledge mm -hmm. or it it comes in an ancillary way but knowledge is power and mm -hmm. you know it, it's where you can get it from and, and books is definitely one avenue to to gain knowledge from and it's a good stress reliever too i was reading that oh, yeah. uh, people that journal or read i mean they reduce their stress levels by almost half yeah it takes you to a different space it does and i think yeah. that to be able to in this day and age where we're kind of confined and in our little quarantine space, if you want to find a, a mental escape, one way is to is to grab a book and then grab some coffee and then sit back for a while and, and to transport yourself to some different world, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Well, I'm glad we shared today there, Jim. We, we try to be as generous as we could for our first 2021 episode with our Seize the Day listeners. We're, at, we're clocking in at about an hour 36. Not bad, eh? Yeah, outstanding. And, uh, you know, to any authors out there who we've recommended, if your book takes off, uh, you don't think of us. <laughs> yes, I know. We have such an influential podcast that their sales might skyrocket, so Amazon better get ready for the, the massive website shutdown if that happens. <laughs> uh, for sure. Well, thanks for bringing us together there, Jim, again. And I'll be uh, uploading this to our podcast so that the listeners that have been anxiously waiting for our first 2021 episode will be able to, to seize the day again. And... Um, I'm sure we'll be doing another podcast anytime soon and we may have some new topics to cover. Well, it was a great way to start the new year and I think it also has value to all of us in the COVID situation right now. So uh, enjoy. Yeah, happy new year to everyone out there listening and uh, thanks Jim for uh, you know being there for, uh, with us again for another episode of Seize the Day with Jim and Winston. I guess until next time, eh? You got Winston, thank you. Your friendship is highly valued and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. I feel the same. All right, take care, Jim. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, cheers. Thanks, buddy.